Welcome back to the Untold Civil War podcast. If you've been keeping up with our episodes, you'll know that I like to do something called Beyond the Blue and Gray. This is where I dig in deeper, go past the corps, divisions, and brigades to better understand the individual regiments and companies that made up the biggest land armies ever to do battle on the North American continent. These units had their own traditions, uniforms, customs, and culture. Last time we looked at the 19th Georgia. This time we'll be looking at a unit very dear to my heart, the 69th New York. Now, the 69th was the core of the famed Irish Brigade during the war, but it continues to operate as a National Guard unit for New York State. Since I was very little, I had the desire to serve. My family has a tradition of government service. I could have enlisted in the active duty army. I could have even pursued a commission with my university degree. However, I'm a huge Civil War buff, and much like Joyce Kilmer, a famous World War I poet said, I'd rather be a sergeant in the 69th than an officer in any other regiment. As I put it, I never enlisted in the army, I enlisted in the 69th. I served in the 69th as a sergeant of infantry for six years. I led my fire team through intense exercises across the United States and even as far flung as Australia. A quick note on the 69th is that during the Civil War they were not issued rifles. Instead, they were issued smoothbore muskets that fired buck and ball. These weapons were deadly at close range, and it was planned that the 69th would be up close and personal with the enemy. That spirit remains with the 69th today. In fact, when fighting the Australians in our training exercise, Alpha Company, my company, led a charge against them. We were waving our green battle flag and yelling, Gary Owen! One Aussie of the 1st Royal Australian Regiment told me that his people didn't know what to do. They just saw a bunch of screaming Americans coming at them. But enough of that. We have an episode to get to, and by the way, the 69th has its own official whiskey. It ain't used to be for sale to the public, but now it is. Link will be in the show notes. So get yourself a bottle of Fighting 69th whiskey, raise the Emerald Banner, and let's delve into some untold Civil War. The 69th Infantry is one of the most legendary units in the U.S. military. It has an outstanding record, having served in World War I and World War II, and it can be argued that not only did it serve overseas during the global war on terror, but it was the first military unit to respond to the attacks that sparked the war as it did respond to Ground Zero during 9-11. But of course, the regiment cut its teeth and developed its battle-hardened reputation during the Civil War. To talk about this fine regiment, I'm here with Colonel Tierney, who's a retired officer of the regiment and who has served for years as the regiment's historian. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Oh, you're welcome. My pleasure. Uh, So just to kick it off, um, could you tell me about uh, when the 69th was formed and for what purpose? And I have heard that the 69th was initially formed to train men to fight the British back in Ireland. So could you talk a little bit about that? Well, that's, that's absolutely true. Um, in 1848, there was a Republican movement in, in Ireland. What I mean by Republican is that uh, uh, they wanted to free themselves from England and have the right to vote and things like that. So um, the group that was behind the movement were called the Young Irelanders, right? And Thomas France Marr, uh, who later became one of our uh, regimental commanders and uh, one of our officers and then commanded the Irish Brigade, was uh, one of the 
the leader of the uh, Young Irelanders. He um, developed or created the Irish tricolor, their national flag, and he hung it out a window in Waterford in March 1848. About two weeks later, he presented it in Dublin to the Irish people, saying that he hoped it was a, would be uh, you know adopted as a sign of peace. The orange being the Irish Protestant, the green being the Irish Catholic, and the white was the peace between them. On the day he did that, uh, the leader of Young Ireland, uh, a man called uh, William Smith O'Brien, called for raising an Irish brigade in New York City and training that brigade in the militia, uh, similar to today's National Guard. And you could do those things in 1848. So really the, the conception of the uh, 69th uh, was uh, from the Young Irelanders and specifically from William Smith O'Brien in 1848. There's a rebellion in 1848, uh, the, what's called the Young Ireland Rebellion. It failed miserably. And uh, Marr and O'Brien were captured. Uh, but the leaders who weren't captured came to New York and they began forming uh, three regiments. And all those regiments are in our lineage the lineage of the 69th as it exists today. Uh, the first regiment that we trace back to uh, was formed in December, on December 21st, 1849. It was called the first Irish regiment. There were three Irish regiments in Manhattan, uh, one in Brooklyn, but the one in Brooklyn really never uh, took off. It really it kind of flopped and it never really came to fruition. But the three regiments of Manhattan did, and they were all brought into the militia or the National Guard. Those three regiments coexisted until 1858 when they were consolidated uh, into one regiment. So the 69th was indeed formed uh, to be the nucleus of the Irish army and actually did train most Irish Republicans over 70 years, you know, until 1916, several of the leaders, even in the Irish rebellion, uh, the Easter rebellion in 1916, were members of the 69th. Wow. Because, well, if you wanted to, if you were an Irish Republican, remember, Ireland's under English rule. And if you believed Ireland needed to be free and they needed to be, you know, do whatever they had to do to become free from England, and you wanted to learn military skills, you know, what were your choices? You could join the British Army, but these guys really didn't want to do that. You could go to Germany and, and join the German Army, but they didn't speak German. Right. Or you could go to New York and join the 69th and right. uh, train there and then go back to Ireland. In fact, two of the major lead leaders uh, of the Irish Rebellion, the Easter Rebellion, and the, the whole rebellion that, that took place in Ireland between 1916 and 1922 were 69th uh, men. Ginger O'Connell, who enlisted in the 69th, became a major general in the Irish Free Army. And uh, um, William, William T, I'm sorry, John T. Proud, who was the head of operations for the Irish Republican Army, and later a major general in the Irish Defense Forces. Uh, in the Irish Free State Army. Both were 69th guys. Wow. In fact, Prout, Prout 
who uh, was a very big man in, in both the rebellion and in the, uh, the Free State Army in the Civil War. If you watch the World War I movie, The Fighting 69th with Pat O'Brien and James Cagney, and you look at the, the, uh, the credits at the end of the movie, you'll see Prout's name. He was a military advisor, <laughs> but it's John T. Prout Captain 69th Regiment, not wow. Major General John T. Prout, Irish Defense Forces. Oh, so, wow. Uh, yeah. So next time you watch uh, The Fighting 69th, look for, look for Prout's name. Oh, definitely. And, and I just since we were talking about the origins of the regiment, I just have to mention this. So Alpha Company, the, without a doubt, my company, the best company, right, um, is the oldest company, right? Yes, Alpha Company traces back to 1775. They were in the Battle of Quebec. So they're the oldest company. Okay. But the regiment, the regiment goes to 1849. Got it, got it. And so as you were saying before, this regiment was recruiting a lot of uh, people coming from Ireland who wanted to learn certain skills, uh, military skills to take back over there. Uh, what occupations did a lot of these guys have coming to the United States? Because the militia was like the National Guard. It was still part-time, right? Yes, absolutely. The, the leaders of the 69th, especially in the beginning, the leaders who were not captured, uh, especially uh, uh, Doheny, Michael Doheny, or Dahani as the Irish say, uh, came to the York and formed them. They were instrumental in forming the, the three regiments. And those three regiments, believe it or not, in um, 1854 were called the Irish Brigade of the New York Militia. And those three regiments are in our lineage. So um, the leaders, most of them, believe it or not, were lawyers. Dahani was a lawyer and he was very instrumental, but a lot of them came over, were either writers or lawyers. Now that's the leaders. The troops, as the 69th, or as the National Guard is, but definitely the history of the 69th, were either Irish immigrants or Irish Americans. And uh, for the most part, most of them lived uh, in, in the Lower East Side and they were laborers. They, they were poor, they were wherever they could get jobs. Um, okay. The, the, the National Guard historically is made up of immigrant, you know, population on the poorer and they joined the guard a lot of them joined the guard for the, the extra money in the case of the 69th it was kind of expected that all irish republicans would would join the 69th so poor usually the poorer class okay and of course even though they were in the united states their irish heritage was still close to them and they carried it obviously in the traditions of the regiment but of course from what i understand just before the civil war that Irish, you know, that Irish spirit almost got them in trouble. I understand they were almost disbanded, but they did get a color out of that, right? Well, that, that what happened was in 18, of 1860, uh, Queen Victoria sent the young Prince of Wales for a state tour of Canada. And New York State, hearing that there was royalty next door, invited the prince to... Uh, come to New York State and, and tour. And he went up to Niagara Falls and eventually he made his way down to New York City. And the military um, leaders in Albany, you know, the uh, chain of command, there was going to be a parade in his honor on October 11, 1860. 
and uh, they ordered the 69th, or specifically Colonel Corcoran, who was the commander, uh, to uh, participate in the parade, march in the parade, in honor of the Prince of Wales. Now, Corcoran was, when he was in Ireland, he was a tax collector in the daytime, but at night, he was a member of a royal, uh, uh, I'm sorry, a rural uh, guerrilla group called the Ribbon Men. And they would harass landlords by burning their bonds and shooting their livestock. But Corcoran was six foot two and he was coming under suspicion for sedition. So he left uh, Ireland, came to New York, joined the 69th, and by 1860, he was in command. So the man is a, is a Finian, uh, like all the leaders of the, uh, the 69th in those days. And uh, he said, no. Remember, Ireland's coming out of the, the potato famine, and uh, you know, a third of the population emigrated, a third of the population starved, and the people weren't too happy with the, you know, the, uh, the royal family. So uh, when Corcoran refused, he was court-martialed. And, uh, but the Irish community in New York, he was so great by doing that, his defiance, that they uh, gave the regiment the first of its green flags, uh, uh, called the Prince of Wales flag. And it had a Finian sunburst on it and uh, an inscription that said, presented to the 69th Regiment in commemoration of October 11th, 1860, which was the day of the parade. The court martial went on until April 1861. Uh, there was defense, different you know motions back and forth. So it, it would convene and then you know postpone and then convene. But in April, of course, the uh, Confederates fired on Fort Sumter. Lincoln called for the militia, 50,000 militia, and the 69th volunteered. And the the court martial was wasn't officially disbanded, but it went away. And Corcoran led the 69th to the first major battle of the Civil War, the Battle of Bull Run, or First Manassas. And during the battle, they carried uh, the Prince of Wales flag. So yeah, um, the, and the, the green flags are you know, still carried by the regiment unofficially, even, even when they're in Iraq and Afghanistan. Uh, although the unit was not in Afghanistan, 300 members were in one time, then another group in another. They always flew the green flag over the headquarters. And the next green flag we had were Mar. Now, Mar is captured in 1848 in Ireland. He's sentenced to be hung, drawn, and courted. But Queen Victoria was a young girl at the time. She really didn't like the idea of hanging, drawing, and quartering people in the 18. 40s, you know, so she uh, got the, got them to commute the sentence, and uh, he was sent to Tasmania. Uh, he escaped from Tasmania, came to New York, and joined the 69th. At Run, he was a captain, Mar, and um, Corcoran was captured. The 69th you know, like all the other regiments participated in the battle, but at the end of the battle, when there was that great rout, when the uh, Union Army ran back the way it came from Manassas, uh, the 69th formed a, a, a square to, to stop the cavalry from uh, pursuing them. 
and Corcoran was captured. Maw was the senior captain and the major of the regiment was left back in New York with the armory. Uh, so he was not in the battle. Uh, and so Maw being the senior captain was made the honorary major and he led the regiment back home. Now on the way back home, he, uh, you know, politicked with Lincoln and petitioned to form an Irish brigade. Eventually Maw was, Lincoln agreed, and eventually Maw was made the commander of the Irish brigade. And the Irish Brigade carried the other green flags, the first and second Irish colors. And you know, and then in the Civil War, there's another thing in the Civil War, as it was for the first eight years or 10 years in Bitsen, there were three regiments that make up our lineage in the Civil War. The militia unit, which was called the 69th Regiment New York State Militia, National Guard. Right. The, Irish Brigade is a federal unit. So 500 soldiers from 69th went to join the federal unit, 69th Regiment, New York State Volunteers. Now that indicates, the volunteers indicate that it's a federal unit. And then when Corcoran was released from prison, he formed another brigade called the Irish Legion and 700 members of the militia unit, the National Guard, went to join that federal regiment, which was called the 69th Volunteer Artillery, serving as infantry. Later, it was changed to the 182nd. But those three regiments are in our lineage. So people kind of linked the 69th and the Civil War to the Irish Brigade, which it was, and probably one of them most famous regiments in the uh, and most famous brigades in the Civil War. But there were two other regiments that did a lot, uh, you know, during the war. So Right. So uh, the 69th was definitely a part of the Irish Brigade that we all know. But, you know, brigades are made up of several regiments. And there were multiple right. regiments that made up the uh, Irish Brigade. Um, just going back to what you were talking about at uh, First Bull Run, uh, you talked about how the 69th covered the retreat. Uh, which, you know, has been documented as being a quite the route. So being that it was a new unit, first time under fire, uh, they performed pretty well for their first time seeing the elephants, as they called it. Uh, they did. I mean, it was one of the few regiments that, I mean, the Union was looking for anything to say positive about, about the battle. And the only thing they could find was a 69. So that started the, you know, the whole story of the, the 69th. Uh, then, of course, when the Irish Brigade stood up, uh, especially during 1862, all the command of the brigade, uh, they participated in all the major battles till the end of the war. But that was the first regiment of the Irish Brigade, the 69th Infantry Regiment, New York State Volunteers. So, um, but they wow. carried they carried green flags also. And of course, uh, they continue on from. Uh, first bull run and one of the big battles that they fight in uh, is the battle of fredericksburg which is what i'd like to talk about where a lot of traditions come out of that almost suicidal assault right on on mary's heights uh could you talk a little bit about the battle of uh, fredericksburg and the significance of the boxwood sprigs okay in september 1862 uh, at, at uh, Sharpsburg, Maryland, the Battle of Antietam, the Irish, the green flags 
of the regiment, of the whole brigade actually, was so shot up that they were returned to New York. They brought their flags back and uh, New York City gave them a new stand of colors for each of the units in the brigade. They were then delivered by uh, Captain McGee to uh, Fredericksburg and they were supposed to be issued to the brigade. They were gonna have a big party. Unfortunately, the battle took place. So the brigade did not have its green flags. And they, in lieu of the green flags, they put sprigs of boxwoods in their hat. Uh, and they wore that through the, uh, through the battle. And uh, every, every year on St. Patrick's Day, we wear sprigs of boxwood in commemoration of what happened in Fredericksburg. And you're right, the battle in Mary's Heights, it wasn't, it was really a diversion and it was just suicidal, absolutely suicidal. Uh, but uh, there are Irish historians, uh, specifically uh, the uh, councilman, I would think he's probably the former councilman now, uh, from Kerry, who was a historian, and he believed that the time the world started to respect Ireland was uh, at Fredericksburg, the Church of Mary's Heights. It wasn't only that the Union Army like this, you know, with respect to the 69th. But people all over the world started respecting Ireland. Ireland was still under England in those days, but uh, that, was, that was his premise that uh, during the Battle of Fredericksburg, everyone was so impressed by the, the charge of Mary's Heights that Ireland, you know, gained respect not only the, the, the Union Army. Right. The and, and, and from what I understand is that, so the 69th, the Irish Brigade, was asked to advance on a stone wall. And at the end of the battle, from what I understand, is that the troops or, or the casualties, the bodies of Union soldiers found closest to the wall had those boxwood springs in their, sprigs in their hat which would identify them as members of the Irish Brigade or the 69th that got so close to the wall. Right. That's absolutely true, yes. That's what tradition holds. You know? That's so. right. And, and, of course, you said we wear those um, during the St. Patrick's Day Parade in honor to commemorate, uh, remember, those, those men who made that charge. Uh, and 69th leads that parade every year. That's right. Even, yeah. even this year. <laughs> even this year was out there. That was fantastic. That was awesome. And also the, the term, they, they earned the nickname, the Fighting 69th. Can you talk about who gave them that nickname? How was that nickname earned? Well, tradition holds that it was given to the unit by Robert E. Lee. Now, historians debate whether it was at Malvern Hill or Fredericksburg, but, but no one debates that it's, um, it was Robert E. Lee. You know, he said, what's that unit? And they said, oh, that's the, uh, the 69th. Oh, the fighting 69th. So that's where, that's where that came from. And the only has, has made that our official nickname. So. Well, I, I love it. I love it. Also during the fighting at Fredericksburg, and I find this very interesting, during the battle, Private Timothy Donahue, right, earns the yeah. Medal of Honor, I believe? He did, yes. And what's interesting about him is he is probably a member of reputed to be one of the most decorated families in Ireland, I would say. Can you talk a little bit about that? The, um, yeah, uh, Timothy 
Timothy uh, was awarded the Medal of Honor uh, for carrying, he was wounded, carrying a wounded officer from the field. What, and I'll, I'll tell you how we, we found out the whole uh, story on, on, on Timothy. Two of the members of our Veterans Corps were working on getting soldiers who were awarded the Medal of Honor headstones. Believe it or not, Timothy Donahue did not have a headstone. He was buried in, in, uh, in Brooklyn, a cemetery in Brooklyn. So uh, one, of the, uh, one of the members uh, was, you know, working with that, with the, with the federal government, trying to get the funding. And um, the commander of the Veteran Corps at that time, Tom Fitzsimmons, who was also at that time the regimental sergeant major, he was raising funds out on Long Island for the headstone at his American Legion post. And one of the people came up to him and said, oh, well, one of my relatives was in the 69th and he was awarded Medal of Honor. And uh, you guys have his medal in the armory. And Tom said, oh yeah, that's uh, Timothy Donahue. He said, yeah. So um, I was a historian at that time and uh, Tom called me up and said, listen, we're going to have his family uh, in. We're going to put the headstone on this day. We're going to have his family back to the armory. Would you, you know, put together a presentation on Donahue? And I said, Tom, we don't know much about Timothy. All we know is that he was born in Ireland because it says it on the citation of the Medal of Honor. And he was awarded for carrying a wounded officer from the field. So he said, well, one of the family members has some records. So he sent them to me. They're all handwritten. A typical army. The name Donnie was, it was spelled eight different ways in his military <laughs> records. Yeah. You know? Donnie you, Donnie E, Donnie Ho, Donnie, you know. So uh, I was able to blow them up. They were all handwritten and, and, and figure out what they said. We found out he was enlisted in... I think it was August 1862. So I said, well, you know, we recruited people right from the boat. So I went to the National Archives to see if I could find out when he came over. And I spent a couple of days going through the, the logs of all the ships coming into Manhattan. In the meantime, Tom calls me up, the commander of the Veterans Corps, says, Listen, one of his family members called up and said he was awarded the Victoria Cross. I said, forget it, Tom. No, it never <laughs> happened. No one, no one got the Victoria Cross and got, you know, the Medal of Honor. So he said, right. oh, well, so they, they remember when they were young, they had a Victoria Cross. I said, Tom, forget it. But I researched it. And Patrick down to you, Patrick, because the Brits had a lot more information on who was awarded the Victoria Cross than the United States has on the Medal of Honor. You know, I mean, we knew the citation, but that's all we, we had. Right. Um, so I looked up an Donahue in the, in the Victoria Cross, and there was a Patrick Donahue. So I looked at it, and it gave where he was born. And he was awarded the Victoria Cross for carrying a wounded officer from the field in the... Uh, in the, in 10 years earlier in, the, uh, in India, in the uh, Sepoy revolt in India. 
And when I looked at where he was born, he was born in Nina Tipperary, right? Now my father was born in Nina. So I said, oh, wow, that's amazing. I wonder if the family knew each other back then, you know? Yeah. If he was born anywhere else in Ireland, I wouldn't even have kept it in my mind. So after the ceremony at the gravesite, they, 130 people, all direct descendants of Timothy Daniel, were in the Duffy room in the armory. And we was doing a presentation. I had his records. I knew he was listed as a laborer. You know, I knew when he got his pension, where he lived, and, you know, the, the various information I have. I was presenting it to his family, and someone asked in the back, uh, did he, was he awarded the, the Victoria Cross? And I said, no, he wasn't. I said, there was a, a person who was, but it wasn't Timothy. It was another Donahue. So, okay. So then um, I, when I went to the National Archives, I searched everything. He's not in the index. You know, he's just searching through the, I think I went all the way back, back to Toba the year before. And then now you're talking about looking at each ship's log, looking for the name Donahue. So I couldn't find them, and they couldn't help me find them either. Then during the presentation, I said, we don't know when he came to New York. And one of the other family members came over and said, he came on April 10th on the city of New York. I said, how did you, how did you find that out? They said, it was National Archives. I said, he's not in, in register. He's not right. in they go, no, he's not, but his wife was. I said, I never thought of looking for the wow. wife. Wow, wow. And he said, yeah. I searched the wife, found her, right above was Patrick, and then below was the son, Timothy. So I said, that's funny. The person who watered the Victoria Cross was named Timothy Donahue. And they said, he had a brother named Timothy Donahue. So... Um, they probably are the most highly decorated family in the world. They have the highest award for valor in the United States and in Britain. So it's um, the two brothers, right? The brother, two, one brother. Yeah, I will say that, that one historian from uh, Canada would dispute that they were brothers. He said, no, they just lived in the same town. They had the same last name. They weren't brothers. But... Um, Small town, same last name. I don't know. It's pretty close. <laughs> Not a very big town. It never was. But uh, and for the same action, right? For taking the same action is kind of interesting. Same action, carrying a wounded officer from the field. But what's interesting also about the family is Patrick Donahue. This is the brother. Um, married a widow in India who was married to you know a British officer. And she had two daughters. The first daughter, Anna. Anna married a British officer by the name of Captain Leones. And Leones died. Um, and she was a widow. She had a young son. She was a teacher. So she started tutoring people. And they wrote a book about Anna. And it's the, uh, the uh, Anna and the King of Siam. The King and I. So that's Timothy Donahue's step niece was the King and I, Anna from the King and I. Uh, the other daughter 
her great, 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 great grandson um, was a Shakespearean actor, left England and came to the United States and started monster movies in the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, I think up to the 70s. It was Boris Karloff. It was a very famous family anyway. <laughs> wow, you can, you know what? You wouldn't believe it unless you heard it, you know? Like this is, yeah. wow. <laughs> but the 69th is amazing. The history of the 69th is absolutely amazing. Oh, absolutely. And, and that's something that always brought me and, and to the 69th was that everywhere you look, just as you talked about this one family, you always find a little bit of 69th everywhere. I, there was even one time, I'll have to do some more research, but I think I found you know, a former 69th member fighting in one of the international brigades in the Spanish Civil War, um, which was kind of interesting. Be. Could be, yeah. So you know, it takes some more research, but it seems like 69th kind of has their fingers in everything. Well, you know, over the course of years, there were hundreds and hundreds of people who, who passed through the doors, you know? Right. Not, not to mention, you know, Wild Bill Donovan and the OSS and the CIA, right? That connection. No, no, Donovan or Father Duffy. Right, who, right. Whose statue is in, in Times Square. Or Joyce Kilmer, who was a very famous poet. Yes. Or, or one guys, you know, so. Yeah, and and one thing I like about him, he always said, I'd rather be a sergeant in the 69th than an officer in any other regiment, I believe. Right. He, um, did, he said that. But uh, moving on from there, you know, we talked about St. Patrick's Day, and that's always rip-roaring time. <laughs> um, great time. Not, um, not this year. <laughs> but, so, but there is a special cocktail we have that goes back to General Marr, right? And that uh, he's a colorful character and he also had his own cocktail. Can you talk about that? Well, he, once again, the, the tradition holds that Marr at Fredericksburg, Marr sent out his aide. Uh, he used to drink Irish whiskey and Vichy water. And he sent his aide out to find Vichy water. I guess we'd call it club soda or tonic these days. Uh, and he couldn't find any. But he brought back two bottles of champagne and uh, Ma mixed them, and uh, we've been drinking that ever since at Regimental Affairs. So, you see, Regimental uh, cocktails, Irish whiskey right. and champagne. And, I, and I've also seen that the, um, the, uh, even the, the reenactment group does that at Gettysburg Remembrance Day. They also, have, uh, they also pour that out, the cocktail. Oh, sure. Yeah. We have reenactors all over. We have reenactors in New York. They, but, they believe it or not, they have a group down in Virginia here, another wow. you know part of the brigade. So I mean, it's a very it's very famous in the Irish American community and in the Irish community. If you go to Ireland to their museum at Collins Barracks, a lot of stuff on the 69. So it, you know, I mean, it, not only the Irish flag came, you know, from the 69th, but a lot of the Irish leaders came from the 69th, you know, so. Well, you also mentioned um, Father Duffy. He's, you know, there's Duffy Square right here in New York City. It plays a big role in the, the movie, right? Um, but of course, that tradition of those, those fighting chaplains, if you will, those chaplains who are out there on the front, kind of starts with uh, Father Corby, does it not? Could you talk about Father Corby? Corby, now, Corby really was not the chaplain of the 69th. 
Okay. He was the senior chaplain of the Irish Brigade and filled in for Father Willett, who was, uh, who was the 69th chaplain when he wasn't there. At, uh, at, Fred, no, at Gettysburg, uh, Corby uh, went up on a rock and he gave uh, the, the, all the soldiers of the Irish Brigade uh, general absolution. And uh, after the Civil War, Corby went on to become the president of, uh, of Notre Dame University. So Corby is a, a, a kind of an amazing guy, Corby. I don't know, have you ever been to Ireland, to the Rock of Cashel? Oh, I've never been there. I've heard about it, though. Okay. They, 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 the cathedral, had the, one of the walls fell down. They only have one huge stone left of the wall uh, that collapsed. And during the tour that I took one day in Cashel, uh, the, the tour director was saying, well, you know, an, an American priest uh, came here and convinced the archbishop to allow him to take the wall from the cathedral, except for this one rock, back to the United States and uh, use it as a foundation for his church. And they said, uh, Father uh, Corby, I just wait, I, Father Corby from the Irish Brigade. And she said, oh yeah, absolutely, Father Corby from the Irish Brigade. So, I mean, no matter where you go, you kind of stumble over things from the 69th. It's wow. Absolutely, it's absolutely amazing. And there's one story I always love. Again, this is the Untold Civil War podcast, but of course, I got to tell this story about the 69th, uh, I believe is World War One, right? With John Pershing, when he sees that the colors are too tall. Can you talk about that? Yeah, there were so many battle rings on the regimental flag that um, Pershing asked to see it. It said, now, during World War One, they named the federal units uh, using the formula. So we became the 165th, 69th. Um, and we were called the 165th until uh, 1963 when President Kennedy renamed the 69th, 69th. But, uh, Pershing, on, they were on parade, and I guess he was with uh, General Fauch, the commander of the French forces. And he said, who owns that flag over there with all the battle rings? And uh, his aide said, well, that's the 165th. And he said, who? And he said, the 69th. So he, we have a picture in the armory of uh, Pershing and Fauch holding the, the staff of the colors and uh, trying to figure out, looking at all the battle rings. So. That's what it was. The 69th just has this stellar record and has been serving for so long. That's why it has all those battle rings and now streamers, right? Right. But also you mentioned Kennedy, right? Can you talk about the 69th's connection to President John F. Kennedy? Well, Kennedy uh, made a trip to Ireland in um, 1963, and he wanted to give Ireland something. So he presented one of our green flags, one of the 69 green flags, the second Irish color. Second Irish color is the one that, that uh, came to Fredericksburg, but not in time for the battle, but was carried by the brigade and the 69th until the end of the war. So he took that to Ireland and he presented it to Ireland in uh, 1963. And the, the colors, they're being restored right now, but they've hung ever since 
in the Leinster House, uh, the seat of the Irish Parliament in Dublin. Wow, so if you fantastic. want to see them, you have to go to Dublin. <laughs> fantastic. And you've got um, a lot of different artifacts in, in the armory itself that, that date back to the Civil War, right? Uh, do you have, I think you have one of Mars coats? Well, we have a, we have a coat, we have a hat. It's not Mars. Oh, okay. Uh, it, we have a replica of the Club 82 jacket. Club 82 jacket is a green frock coat that the leaders of Young Ireland wore uh, in 1848. And they called it the Club 82 jacket because it was, they had, the buttons had uh, 1782, which was the year that uh, Grattan's Parliament was established in Ireland. So Ireland had its own parliament for a while until the English disbanded it. When the leaders came to New York to form the three regiments, they really, they didn't have anything military to wear except the, the Club 82 jacket, the green frock coat. And believe it or not, that was the basis of the 69th uniforms until 1857, 1858, when we adopted the Army blue uniform. We had the green frock coat. But we have a replica of the Club 82 jacket, a Mars jacket in the commander's office in the armory. Waterford made that up. But if you want to see Mars original Club 82 jacket, you have to go to Waterford to the Bishop's Palace, which is their museum on the second floor, they have not only Ma's uh, frock coat and sword, we have this sword too, but they have the boxwood that he wore at Fredericksburg. Wow. Believe it or not. Wow. They don't look white these days, but they have boxwood. That, is, that is really neat. I love Fredericksburg, yeah. And, and of course you have, um... I believe you still have the crucifix from Joyce Kilmer, right, over there? Yeah, Joyce Kilmer. Joyce Kilmer. Everyone thinks Joyce Kilmer. I mean, a lot of people think Joyce Kilmer is a woman. Uh, and, and at least in our day, when you, we would study uh, poetry, uh, trees was a big poem that you always had memorized. Right, and right. Joyce Kilmer's. And everyone thinks he's a woman, but he was, uh, his full name is Alfred Joyce Kilmer. He was named after two Presbyterian ministers, one, one named for one named Joyce. And um, he converted to Catholicism when he joined the 69th. And he, to his mother's chagrin, uh, but he was wearing a crucifix when he was killed. He was working for um, uh, Donovan. And uh, uh, he was shot and killed. And Donovan took off his crucifix and he put it on the wall for the rest of the war. And then when he came home, he put a picture of Kilmer in his office and hung the crucifix on it. In um, World War II, Gardner Conroy, who was commanding the unit, took the crucifix and put it on. And they went, their first battle was at Macon Island. Island. At Macon, uh, Gardner was killed, Conroy. And his driver took the crucifix. And he kept it for about 40 years. And then he returned it, uh, one of the make a day dinners, and gave it to Colonel Slack, who was then commanding the unit. And Slack put it back on the picture. But when the unit went to Iraq, Slack took it off the picture. And he wore it um, for, throughout the whole war. And they were over in Iraq to 2004 or 
then and then when they changed command, he not only did did they exchange the flag, you know, Slack gave the flag to the incoming commander Crosby, but he also gave the crucifix, and then Crosby wore it, and then uh, for a period of uh, commanders, not only they, you know change the flag as a symbol of the change of authority, but also they would give the crucifix. That kept on until uh, Christ lost one of his arms. And uh, I'm not the historian now, Bert Cunningham is, and Bert, Bert negotiated with the, the commander and said, you know, we really can't work anymore. You know, it's, it's just falling it's to pieces. Too precious, so, too precious. Yeah, so we, we uh, mounted it and it hangs in the commander's office and uh, Tillman Well, that was just one thing I was getting at is that the, the armory itself has these artifacts that it's a museum in and of itself. It is really neat to go. Um, I know you, uh, there used to be tours. I don't know if that's still going on. Um, no, we, we're, we're really undergoing major construction in the building. Right. And right now, civilians are uh, allowed in the building. There's military are, but uh, you know, the regimental headquarters is, but not, I mean, even the Veterans Corps is not supposed to come in. Wow, wow, yeah. You know, hopefully when that, that construction gets done, you know, business will be back to normal and, uh, you know, people can uh, come get these tours because I really recommend it. It is an awesome place with lots of history. Oh, on that note, I, I would just say that, you know, thank you for coming on to talk about the, the 69th. Um, I think their exploits are not only legendary today, but they're legendary for their past exploits. And during the Civil War, the 68th Pennsylvania, their peers changed their designation to six, 69, um, just oh, out really? of uh, respect to emulate them, you know, even their peers in their time during the Civil War. So I think that's really cool about the 69th. Um, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It means a lot. Um, no, thanks for having us. Thanks, and thanks for everything you do to um, you know, inspire that esprit de corps in the regiment. It, it really is important. Okay. <laughs> thanks so much. All right. It was nice talking to you. All right. Take care. Be safe. I hope you enjoyed that episode while washing your hands, scrounging for toilet paper, marching with Sherman to the sea, capturing Yankee beef with Wade Hampton, or whenever you listen to podcasts. If you're interested in learning more about the Fighting 69th and their modern exploits, I recommend the book The Fighting 69th From Ground Zero to Baghdad. It's the book that got me interested in the regiment, and I've met many of the men featured in the book, including the author. Now, we've got a ton of episodes coming your way. I think it is important during this time when classes are canceled to get information from the experts out to you, the listeners. So please follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook to stay up to date with the podcast. Also, please feel free to give us that five-star review on iTunes if you feel so inclined. It helps people to find our podcast and gives the experts I interview the exposure they deserve. I want to thank Craig Duncan for allowing me to use his music on my podcast and I hope you all tune in next time for our next episode.